0: Coming up, the essential roadmap for you if you've got a problem with your car and you're just not getting all the help you could to resolve it from the dealership. Let's turn that frown upside down right now. I'm John Cadogan from you and I get new cars cheap <laughs> for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that isn't occasionally at least. Up there now. So yesterday I did this report on why warranty really matters not anymore and why the legislation is kind of more important because it trumps the warranty promises made by car makers, and therefore what really matters is choosing a car maker with decent ethics because if they are culturally sort of aligned with supporting you because you did spend all that money on a product manufactured by them, then you will invariably get a better result if you've got a problem than if you purchase a car from a car maker who is philosophically aligned with throwing you under the bus and either brushing you or using your problem which they caused as an opportunity for them to make even more money. And Because we have this dodgy regulatory environment in Australia and poor accessibility, at least economically rational accessibility, to the courts, car makers are more or less free to decide if they want to be cocks or not, which is kind of imperfect. But I'm not alleging life was perfect. Anyway, I'll put a link up there to that report if my brain recovers in the edit suite and it is no longer mush. And speaking of which, this multi-paged pronged approach here to you getting the result you want if you've got a problem with your car and it starts like this i'm going to refer from time to time to my notes so that i don't miss anything and you get the full picture but hey you've got this video production and professional grade stills camera in your pocket now we all do okay so whip out your phone and the second there's a problem you know the dash lights up and the engine goes into limp mode get your video camera out, pull over safely so that you're not multitasking and you don't have a massive crash or break the law using your phone, right? But take photographs and or video of the scene, as they say in all those police shows, just so you've got some evidence because what often happens is dash lights up there's a problem. Houston, we've had a main bus be undervolt. And all of a sudden, you switch off and then you reboot. Problem goes away. The only problem with that is, you know, in in 10 minutes to 10 days time, it's back again. And unless you've got evidence, here's the evidence on my friggin' phone, your worship. You know, the dealership's got nothing to go on. You turn up, car's rebooted. It doesn't have a problem. They plug it in. The computer says, "No problem, okay, show them the evidence, and at least that way they can go down the track of what might be causing this because if they've got no reason to suspect that there is a problem and no data to suspect that, then you're more likely to get brushed. but if you can show it to them, the picture's going to be worth more than a thousand words, okay, dude, so." Grab that evidence, and even if you go down this worst possible track and they brush you, whatever, you'll have evidence from the get-go that this is a problem that's been happening for some time, all right? So, on the nature of problems, I'd suggest that intermittent problems are absolutely the worst. They're the worst, okay? Major problems, dead easy to diagnose, right? If a conrod in your engine lets go and punches a fist-sized hole out through the side of the crankcase. Perfect. The block's got... We're looking at the internals of the engine. Easy to diagnose, dude. Like, dead easy. If the rear axle falls out, dead easy to diagnose. Oh, your car's missing the rear axle, sir. Let me order one in or whatever, okay? But intermittent problems are like, a spooky sort of confluence of feedbacks where this has to happen. You have to be, you know, your engine has to be patting its tummy and rubbing its head sort of thing. And it has to be doing it in within a specific temperature range and the air pressure has to be, you know. There's a lot of confluence of factors that are required to cause a particular feedback effect that manifests itself as your car goes in a limp mode. Okay and that can be really difficult to diagnose and if that is the case then you should expect multiple visits to the dealership because often it's like this let's say your engine enters limp mode and they don't know why and they look at this and they look at that and they get to the conclusion that it's got a air fuel sort of problem right then they're going to go down this balance of probabilities kind of pathway to a solution and step number one might be replacing a thing called the MAF sensor which stands for mass airflow sensor okay and that might fix it happy days you know if it does but it might not too because the problem could also be caused by um, defects in the same ballpark which would be things like uh, maybe a cracked inlet manifold or a split, even a small little pinhole type split in a hose between the turbo and the inlet manifold, or things of this nature, okay? And they don't really know what's the problem, because plugging in is not like in the movies, plugging in a spacecraft and having these great diagnostic diagrams come up on the screen, like in sci-fi, you know, it's just not like that. So they've got to go, well, what's most likely to be causing this defect? Let's replace that. And then you get to be the lab rat. Being the lab rat is kind of imperfect, okay? Because you want to go to the dealer and just have them solve the problem. It's like, yeah, dude, problem solved. We fixed it. And quite often they'll say that, but really they've just tried the most likely thing. And then you get to be the lab rat and you've got to kind of come back if the problem comes back, right? So that's frustrating, but go in with that expectation, like they're doing their best. And I guess what I'm saying here is I've written, strive to be reasonable, okay? You own the problem or they could own the problem, but it's your problem because it's affecting you. And there is a worrying number of people in society who sort of, feel that this entitles them to behave like a bit of a cock, right? And I get it that it's frustrating and occasionally you want to vent, but it's unhelpful, okay? Because the dude on the other side of the counter, he's a person and he might be really trying to help you. And he might even deep down know that that's frustrating for you, uh, even though he sees it all day long and he's a bit inured to it. Like the murder police, you know? If you're at the scene of a murder, You know, it's likely to be very distressing for you. It's likely to be someone you know or you love or maybe you hate or whatever. But for the murder police, it's just another day in the office. Yeah. So this is that in the service department. You're just another dude with a problem. And you're more likely to get a resolution that you're happy with if you're a bit sympathetic to their side of the story. Okay. So don't be a cock just because your car has a problem. I'd refrain from being a cock generally in these sorts of situations, no matter how frustrating it gets. And I know it gets frustrating, okay? Being a cock is not going to help. It's like, you know, being interviewed by the cops. Don't be a cock. Just be respectful. Be sympathetic to their side of the story, you know. And things will go better for you, is all I'm saying, right? Because... Confrontation is to be avoided in this situation. And you should expect, you know, in in the case of an intermittent problem, you should expect to come back multiple times to the dealership and you should expect them to help you at each time eliminating the next most probable cause of your problem and you should acknowledge your job, which is to be the lab rat, okay? And I know I'm gonna get a whole bunch of uh, people I would broadly categorize as out of touch beard-stroking dickheads who will say in the comments, oh, that's because of electronics in cars and electronics are shit and we should go back to the days when cars were simpler, right? And to you, if you're that kind of of out-of-touch moron, I would suggest humbly that, yeah, it was easier to fix cars when they just had simple control systems like Carburettors with a float bowl and uh, a few diaphragms and springs and things of that nature. And then they had centrifugal weights with uh, springs in a distributor to organise the timing advance. And they had points that opened and closed thousands of times to control the uh, distribution of the spark. So there's that. That is simple. But those systems were very unreliable statistically and they were also tremendously inefficient. So Solid state control, like microprocessor control of cars, engines, powertrains, things of this nature, they make cars better to drive, they make them safer, they make the engines tremendously more efficient, and they make them more reliable, more reliable, okay? The feedback mechanism in place from doing all of this additional control, aside from it saves you money and keeps you safer and stuff like that, is that... If there's a problem, it just gets harder to solve. There are fewer problems, but when they do happen, they're harder to solve. That's the reality, and you can not like it. You're free to not like it if you are the owner of a problematic car. But generally, you've been insulated from all of those problems and all of that additional servicing cost. Like, dude, cars had to be serviced once every three months back then when we had those better control systems. And the fuel consumption was through the friggin' roof. And that's why today, you know, a two and a half litre four cylinder engine today performs like a five litre pushrod V8 from the late 70s and early 80s. That's just reality calling, interfering with your perception. Okay, so another question I always get asked here is should I pay a diagnostic fee up front because the dealership often doesn't know whether the problem is warrantable or one of those uh, acceptable quality consumer guarantee kinds of problems where the car maker will pay them to do the work and supply the parts for free. Okay? They've got to do some digging to figure out what the problem is and to whom the responsibility is attributable. So, if they ask you to pay a diagnostic fee up front, it shouldn't be a huge fee, okay? And it should be refundable if the problem falls into the camp of warranty or consumer law kind of replacement, you know? So, I would put my credit card down on the table and say, yeah, dude, look into it, and then. You could end up in a dispute about whether it's ultimately your problem or their problem to fix, okay? But you're really not going to help if you arc up about the diagnostic fee up front because you're going to be stalled on the grid. Your problem is going to get to here on the pathway to solving it, and it's not going to proceed until you do that. And they are kind of entitled to be paid to do some work, subject to you getting that back if it's their problem yeah okay so pay the diagnostic fee up front if they request it and you've got to understand that there is a difference between collaboratively working on a solution with them okay and getting support and operating in the domain of cooperation okay there's a difference between that and being in a dispute And my strong advice to you is to do everything that you can in good faith to avoid getting in a dispute over this. Okay, now sometimes you can't do that. It's like getting in a fistfight, right? You should do everything you can to avoid getting in a fistfight. But, you know, if somebody steps out of an alley with a baseball bat, hell-bent on, I don't know, tuning you up, then you can't avoid it and then your job is to fight, okay? This is like that, only without the physical dimension, right? Try and avoid getting in the fight to the extent that you can, and then if they manufacture an environment where fighting is inevitable, then hey, dude, fight, because the rules of the game change, but you should not spark it up, okay? If you can avoid getting in a confrontation with the dealer over your problem, avoid that. And the same thing with the car maker. just avoid it until it is absolutely unavoidable. And then you've got to try and just as with the whole fistfight scenario, you've got to respond in a proportionate way. You know, I wouldn't be leaning over the counter, pushing someone in the chest ever in a car dealership, no matter how angry you get about the way you might be being treated. It is really a good idea to try and, maintain some empathy for what's going on on the other side of the counter, you know, it really is. So different rules definitely do apply in a dispute with a car dealer and a manufacturer, however, because you've got to decide where the boundary is. You're either cooperating and working together to form this solution with them replacing things on the balance of probability and you being the lab rat and seeing if that worked and coming back a little disappointed that that hasn't been successful, right? And then the rules change because you've had enough or whatever and suddenly you're in a dispute. And this is a higher stakes environment, right? It's just like fighting versus negotiating your way out of some altercation in the street, okay? The stakes are higher when you're in a dispute because it can cost you heaps, okay? So if you're in a dispute, you have to be an advocate for your own self-interest. You really do because they're no longer going to help you, okay? You're going to be fighting them, okay? So don't expect support from the other team. Now, if they give you a problem with repairing your defect with your car, you have to start by asking yourself a bunch of questions, such as, Are their stated concerns justified? Like, have you abused the car? Have you modified it? Or have you neglected it? So if you've got this problem, which is that the engine's just gone poopy in its trousers and you haven't had the car serviced for three frigging years, then dude, that's on you, okay? Or if you've modified it, if you've fitted a dyno retune and you've done a whole bunch of other modifications, like if you've got this, I don't know, Ford Ranger and you've jacked it up four inches and you've taken it in all kinds of really challenging terrain and all of a sudden the universal joints are are all just vibrating and prematurely, prematurely going poopy in their trousers, then that's probably happening because you forced them to operate through a greater angle as they do their power transmission, and that places them under greater stress, and they wear out more often as a result. They wear out prematurely, and that's down to you because you jacked the friggin' thing up four inches, dude. What were you expecting, okay? Likewise, if you fit a GVM upgrade, and I know that's very popular, but a GVM upgrade is generally dampers and springs, okay? If you bend the chassis, that's on you because you haven't upgraded the chassis and the manufacturer said GVM whatever, three tons, and you've given the vehicle some sort of notional GVM upgrade to, I don't know, 3.6 or something, and then you bend the chassis, that's on you. The manufacturer said don't exceed three tons and you went out and did it. That's on you. Maybe there's some recourse available to you via the person who fitted the GVM upgrade. Good luck with that. You'll be a middleman in a dispute between them and them. They'll be saying, these guys will be saying, no, 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 that's them. And they'll be saying, no, 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 that's them. And you'll be going like you're at the friggin' Australian Open or something. Like, come on. Anyway, you also have to ask yourself if you're being unreasonable. And the grim reality is that half of the people who reach out to me and they say, my car's a shitbox and I'm not getting any help. They've got a psychiatric defect, right? They really do. Half of the people, at least half, you know, because they have expectations that are just absolutely not aligned with what the car's designed to do or how it should be operating or what what they should expect in terms of its longevity. Like some people say it's only done 250,000 kilometres. Dude, that's six and a quarter laps of the planet and things wear out. I blame the second law of thermodynamics, right? So you just have to have reasonable expectations about what the car is going to do and what kinds of things wear out because wear and tear is also not covered under warranty or consumer law. If something wears out, the tyres, the brakes, whatever, that's on you. Wear and tear is part and parcel of owning a car. And the other thing is... People have unrealistic expectations about operational characteristics. I had this guy who, um, he had a particular car and he impressed on me that it was so difficult for him to drive it down the road because the steering just continually pulled to the left like this, right? And I've gone, really? He's gone, yes, on the freeway, my arms ache from keeping the car straight ahead. And I've gone... I'll meet you at this location. I want to drive this car and check it out. This is the last time they ever dealt with a punter face-to-face over a defect like this, okay? And went for a drive on the freeway, and it was completely normal. And, yeah, it did. It pulled to the left slightly because there's a crown on the road, and you're generally driving on the left-hand side, and that means gravity is at work, and it goes that way. And I'm pointing this out to him. I'm saying, dude, this is normal. It's like every other one of car that i've ever driven and he's gone well take your hands off the wheel for 15 seconds and see what happens and i kind of look at him and i go dude you're not supposed to do that when you're driving a car you know hands on the wheel nine and three that's how it's supposed to work and what was actually happening was when you take your hands off the wheel you drift a little bit left and then i think what was happening was that the uh, the servo motor that assists the steering gives you the power assistance it's got like an angle sensor that sees how far the wheel's being turned when the drift gets to a certain point the system detects a displacement of the steering wheel and it assists you go figure and then you turn even more to the left and if you just had your hands on the wheel it wouldn't do that and i had another guy right who had those lights that turn with the steering okay and He wanted them to turn when the car was stationary and he cranked the steering one way or the other. And pro tip, they're not designed to do that because there's a speed sensitivity built into the system. So you have to be moving for the lights to turn, right? That makes kind of sense, doesn't it? Anyway, not good enough for him. He's convinced that the car is defective, okay? It's an operational characteristic. Now, you might not like it, but it's not defective if it's just operationally characteristic. So you have to decide whether you're going to be reasonable or not. And if you've got a psychiatric defect about this or that, that's allowed. Just try not inflicting it on the dealership and try really, really hard not to inflict it on me because... I'm not going to be sympathetic to that. I'm just going to point it out to you. I'm going to say, dude, I think the problem is, you know, up here between your ears rather than between those wheels. It's kind of thing, right? And this is why I don't go out and uh, and do any sort of on-site, <laughs> free-of-charge <laughs> diagnosis for punters anymore because it's just so depressing. It's like Winston Churchill said, right? Winston Churchill famously said one day that the most powerful argument against democracy was like, having a five-minute conversation with the average voter right this is kind of that so be reasonable now if you are justified in your mind over this concern with the car and the dealerships not helping them tell them that they're not being helpful and tell them that you intend to take this up with the car maker and take it up with the car maker okay because often unscrupulous dealers they like to put it on you okay and they like to put it on you because when it's a warranty job or a consumer law job then the car maker buys in to the validity of your problem and they supply the parts and they pay the dealer a rate for the labor so this is not a love job as far as the dealer is concerned but it's certainly not as profitable as billing you okay because when they bill you the car maker sells the dealer the parts the dealer marks them up with his customary 4 billion percent profit markup right and then he charges you for the labor but he charges you the full freight for the labor okay not this discount labor rate that uh, the that the car maker pays him for the same work okay so if a dis- if a dealer can convince you that this is not a warranty job, and he stands to make a lot more money out of it, right, and with new car sales being continuously under pressure from a margin point of view, dealers look to their parts and service operation to pump up the bottom line for the dealership, and in that situation, you can find yourself as the meat in the sandwich. And in that case, you send the signal to them that you're taking it up with the maker and you might be really surprised at how malleable they become because they don't want their pants pulled down in front of the car maker over and over and over because that will identify to the car maker that they are making the brand look bad and you should take it up with the car maker and you know use the VIN code and use your record of I went here and I went here and I went here okay and that's kind of the next point which is keep records if there's a dispute, right? If they give you a problem and you move into dispute mode, stop doing this verbally over the counter and start following it up with emails and take photographs of every time the problem occurs because there'll be time and date and geolocation data on the photographs so you'll be able to establish that this problem has been ongoing since this date, okay? And if you do find yourself in consumer court, then this wealth of supporting information is much more valuable than you just having some vague recollection about, I can't remember if it was five or six times back to the dealership, and I'm not really sure about the dates and all that stuff, right? Keep records and stop dealing conversationally with the parties involved. And even if you do deal with them conversationally, make notes. Get a notebook or do it, you know, with your thumbs on the phone. But make notes about when you went in and what was said and what was agreed and do it as soon as possible after those conversations. Because in law, they call them contemporaneous notes and they have reasonably high evidentiary value. And if you don't have them, then your case gets weaker. So I'd suggest that if the car maker and the dealer both brush you you might want to go back to step 1 and ask yourself if you're justified but if they do both brush you and you're convinced that you've got a case then you should talk to a lawyer okay you should forget about consumer affairs on a state by state sort of governmental level because they are friggin hopeless all they'll do is make a call to the dealer or the car maker and the car dealer the car maker whatever they'll reiterate their position and then Consumer Affairs will reiterate that to you, and their advice will be talk to a lawyer. So forget Consumer Affairs, toothless tiger, talk to a lawyer, spend whatever it takes to sit down in front of a decent lawyer, it doesn't have to be a lawyer in the CBD, it can be a local lawyer who's across consumer law matters, and get their advice. Talk to them about, will I win on the balance of probabilities if this goes to court? What should I do next? How much is it going to cost me? Is it economic to fight this? Should I just suck it up like a big boy and never do business with them again? Whatever your lawyer tells you, they're an expert at this. You don't have a car problem anymore. You've got a legal problem. They're legal experts. Take their advice. Uh, The other thing I'd suggest is to make a complaint to the ACCC. Now, the caveat on that is that the ACCC does not act for individuals okay the a triple c the a c which is what they should be called the a triple c is a regulator of corporations okay so the purpose for making a complaint to the a triple c is not so that you'll get an individual resolution but it's so that you and the 25,000 other people just like you who are being bent over under that cultural umbrella by that brand, you ultimately get a voice and the ACCC steps in as it did with Mazda recently and basically takes them to court for unconscionable conduct. Now that will not happen under the weight of one person like your testimony, but it will happen if there's a body of evidence that they get from consumers that seems to suggest that brand A is behaving badly. So if you want reform, don't miss that step, even though you might not get an immediate, tangible benefit. It might just add to a body of evidence that makes the environment better over time, subject to the ACCC waking up sometime between now and the end of the decade, so there's that. And I would strongly suggest that you, as early as possible, if your spider sense goes up, and it looks like there's going to be a dispute amass as many paper in inverted commas because it could be virtual records but get as many records together as you can put them all in a folder all those photographs that video the communication your contemporaneous notes have them ready because that can make you look in court and it is a perception thing often in court it can make you look like you've got your shit together. And I'll guarantee that every time you front up at the dealership at the service department to deal with a problem, your VIN code will be recorded and there will be notes, okay? We looked at this, we did this, blah, 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 blah. So they will come with a compendium of paperwork and if you don't have that, you're gonna look worse than them. And we don't want that. Now, finally, If you've done all of these things, like hopefully on the balance of probabilities, you get reasonable cooperation and it might take you five or six goes back at the dealership. But ultimately, your problem gets diagnosed or maybe even if it's not diagnosed, they go through this sequential balance of probability parts replacement process and your problem gets resolved. Okay? here's hoping that that's what happens. And if you're wondering what I'm looking at, there's just a spider (laughs) right there, crawling all over the camera. I don't know why. But anyway, I'm not motivated to get bitten by a spider here in the fat cave on camera because that would look unprofessional. But if it does, you know, leap this way with its fangs out, maybe it's a zombie spider, I might just have to end this video early. But we're nearly there. The final point, second to last point anyway, that I will make is that if you're unsuccessful, If it turns out that they're not gonna help you and your lawyer says that's gonna cost you heaps dude, it's probably better if you just get this fixed, okay? If that happens, if you're not looking like a starter for a consumer law or warranty resolution, don't give the gig to the dealership. Go and have a look at an independent mechanic, auto electrician, body shop, whatever it is, okay? Because guaranteed, not only will they be able to do it cheaper from a labour point of view, they'll probably do it just as well. They'll probably have access to aftermarket parts, like quality aftermarket parts that will also save you money. In the case of an engine that blows up and the car's like six or seven years old or something and you haven't had it serviced, and the car maker and the dealer tell you to go to buggery because dude, you should have had your car serviced, then... Go to an independent mechanic who might be able to source uh, an engine from a wreck, you know, with a similar number of Ks to the engine in your car. Maybe they can just fit that. And that's going to be so much cheaper than brand new engine and dealership labor rates, okay? So keep that in mind, definitely. And the final point I promise that this is really the last thing I'm going to inflict upon you, but it's very important to remember a lemon. Can't be delemoned. Okay, you could mitigate the problem temporarily. You can extend the non lemon intervals in between lemon manifestation of the lemon, right? But ultimately, it's going to re lemon itself, and that's going to be the character of lemon car ownership into the future. And the only cure is divest yourself of the lemon. Just Flick it, fuck it as far off as it may be fucked because that's the only cure. I see this all the time. It happened a lot earlier on in uh, in the late part of the 20-teens because that's when all of the Ford foci with the notorious power shit DCT transmission were going poopy in their trousers. And what would happen would be Ford and Ford dealers would give punters endless problems, endless. And then finally, they'd replace the transmission or the clutch packs or something. And then shortly thereafter, they would become defective again because they weren't curing the problem. They were just changing defective clutches for clutches that were guaranteed to be defective in a few months to years. So a lot of people had this sort of false expectation That this problem could be fixed and it would go away and their foci would be perfect thereafter. That doesn't happen. It just doesn't. If you own a lemon, the only cure is to get rid of it and then tell the car maker exactly what you think of them by never buying another car of that brand ever again that is probably the most powerful message that you could send a car maker tell them that you've done that tell them that you've sold their shipbox focus you'll never buy a Ford again anytime anyone ever asks you about your ownership experience you're going to tell them you're going to do your level best to dissuade them from ever buying another Ford and this goes for you know disgruntled Land Rover owners like every Land Rover that's ever been built, right? And Jeeps, they're good for that as well. Most cars from the Volkswagen Group have had a significant percentage of those models develop uh, severe lemonitis, you know? So if that's you, just learn from that experience, get the problem temporarily resolved, because that's all that will ever happen, Sell the car, you know, and I know you, some people are going to feel guilty about selling a lemon car to some other buyer of a lemon, but even in the case of a car maker that buys back your shitbox, whatever, Defender, Golf, the list is endless, right? They're not going to bin it. It's not going into a compactor and being recycled for scrap. They're just going to do the fix that they brushed you over and then they're gonna sell it on the lot as a secondhand car. And some punter is gonna come over and buy it, and they're gonna have these lemon kind of problems on the balance of probabilities. So what you need to be is an informed consumer and not buy a lemon in the first place, and go back and watch that video, I'll put another link up there to the video, subject to dementia, early onset sort of thing, and have a look at, the decent car brands versus the ones who are more likely to throw you under the bus because that's what we're trying to avoid here in the first place. And trust me, on the issue of problems, like cars are complex, they have got five to 10,000 parts and all kinds of spooky interactions are possible. So all brands and all models are going to have some problems and you, you do roll the dice, okay? And occasionally the hammer comes down on a loaded chamber, even with the best brands. But the cure here is, you know, prevention to the extent that that's possible by doing business with an ethical car maker that also has a reputation for reliability.